in Parshas Bamidbar, Bamidbar. Right. So we have the census of the Jewish people, the census of the Levim, the census of the firstborn. Hashem instructs that he's going to redeem, the, the Bukharim are going to be redeemed onto the Levim. Hashem says, I have taken, I have selected the Levim from among the Jews. I'm taking the Levim in exchange of the firstborn. Really, Hashem says, When I smote the firstborn in Egypt, the Jewish Bukharim belonged to me, they were sanctified to me. And now Hashem is saying we're going to be po to them onto the onto the Levim. How is this done? So there was a census made of the Levim, Ben Chodesh Vamala, from one month and older. And then there was a, a count given for the Bukharim, and the Bukharim were exchanged for the Levim, except for the problem of some extra Bukharim. What were these figures? So among the Levim, it says there were three families, Gershon, Kahasu, Murari. The Torah gives the, the three subtotals. It says that the first one, Gershon, there were 7,500. Then there was Kahas, and that was 8,600. And then Merari was 6,200. If you add these three together, there are 22,300. The Torah actually gives a different figure. The Torah says that the total was, the, t- the Torah says that the total was actually uh, the, the actual number was twenty-two thousand, even. It says that there were that there were exactly. Uh, it doesn't say exactly, but it says there were twenty-two thousand Levim. Why? I mean, we can do the arithmetic ourselves. That there, there were more than twenty-two thousand Levim. There were twenty-two thousand three hundred Levim. So the Gemara in Bechorot brings this question. It says that some Gentile, Greek it sounds like, a Greek officer, after Yochanan ben Zakkai, that if you, do the, if you tally the subtotals, you get 22,300. Why does the Torah say there were only 22,000? So he answered him, 300 of the Levium were also Bechorot. The, there were 22,300 Levium all told, but of those 22,300, 300 were Bukharis, and a Bukhar couldn't be used, a Bukhar Levi couldn't be used to be Poda a Bukhar Yisrael. There were 22,273 Bukharim of Yisrael, but a Bukhar Levi can't be Poda a Bukhar Yisrael because his Bukhar is just transferred onto his Leviya. So he cancels out, he doesn't count in terms of his Pidyon. So there were only 22,000 Levim who were not Bukharim, and that's why the Torah says that when we make this correspondence, we only had 22,000 Levim. The, it's actually a very low number of Bechorim. Right, if, if, you, if, if you work it out, it's about 1 in 73 Levim were Bechorim. The, they must have had huge families. They talk about this. In Mitzrayim it says that the Jews had a tremendous fertility rate. Shisha Bechoros Echad, Shisha Bechoros Echad. There's some discussion whether that applied to Levi also or not. But for some reason, if we accept this Gemara, then it follows that on average there was one Bechor per 73 Levim. It's interesting that whether this is Pshuto Shalmikra or not, this sounds a little bit like a Madrashic explanation, but it's striking that pretty much all the Mepharshim that I saw agree that this is Pshat and Pasuk. Even the, even the Mepharshim who are committed to Pshat and often diverge from the Gemara when they fail, the Gemara is not engaged in Pshat. Here they agree with the Gemara. Ibn Ezra, Rabbi Yosef Bechar Shar, 
they agree that this pshat of the Gemara is the correct one. The reason that we are the 300 levim disappear is because of the Gemara's reason is because they were Bechorim and they don't count in terms of the correspondence. They bring other pshatim as well, but they shoot them down. And they say the Iker pshat here is they are left with the Gemara. So Rashi, Rashi often brings the Midrashim of Chazal, but Rashi, Ibn Ezra, Bechar Shar, all bring, all except Chazal. I'm not aware, I didn't come across any significant opinion of the Rishon who disagrees. As I mentioned, Ibn Ezra and Bechar Shar bring other explanations as well, but they reject them. Ibn Ezra says, Yesh Omrim, that the Torah is rounding that the Torah is uh, simply giving the general figure of 22,000 and omitting the, the, the hundreds. Well, do we have a sense, uh, all the numbers of all the censuses from the right. are seem rounded. Right, we'll get, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Howie's pointing out that many of the numbers in our parasha seem rounded. We'll get to that in a minute. Ibn Ezra rejects this pshat of the, of the Yesh Omrim, that this is a rounding number, because... The Torah is about to say that there were 22,273 Bacharim and only 22,000 Levim, so there were 273 extra, extra Bacharim, and they had to pay uh, five Shkalim each, which equals 1,365 Shkalim. If there were 300 extra Levim, then they actually, there wouldn't have been 273 extra Bacharim. They, they, they would have, on the contrary, there would have been, there would have been 27 extra, extra Levim if that were the case. So the, the Torah's whole figure of, need, of needing to redeem 273 extra Bacharim and paying five Shkalim and ending up with 1,365 Shkalim would all go out the window. So it's not possible, he says, it's completely untenable to say this is rounding. Howie is correct that the, we discussed this in a share a few years ago, Howie is correct that the Mepharshim do say, a number of Mepharshim do say that the figures in our parasha are rounded. The, the general census figures, except for the 273 of the... Of the, of, the, of the Jewish Bechorim, of the non-Levi Bechorim, are all multiples, almost all multiples of 100, some are multiples of 50, but the, the, they're, almost, they're, they're all multiples of 10, and, 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 and they're all multiples of at least 50, some are multiples uh, even of 100. And it seems, it's very striking, that certainly suggests that we're dealing with rounding. Number, with rounding. And that is indeed what some of the Mepharshim say, that we're dealing with, with round numbers. Some argue that they're exact, but the... It definitely is legitimate to say that the numbers in general that the Torah gives are rounded, but in this particular case, where there's a very precise correspondence with a, with a very precise figure of 273 extra Bacharim, it's difficult to say, Ibn Ezra points out, that we're dealing with rounding. So he accepts Chazal, as we said. Then he brings another pshat from Yehuda Parsi, who is apparently a Karite uh, exegete. He doesn't like his pshat either. He says, Rak Kabbalah. So Ibn Ezra, as he often does, he says, we'll, we'll, we'll accept the, the rabbinic tradition, we'll accept the Midrash, the Gemara in this case, that says that 300, 300 uh, Levim didn't count because they were also Bacharim. Again, the, the problem with that is that it seems to be a very low number of Bacharim, but this is the Pshada of Chazal, of the Rabbi and Zakai in the Gemara. Ibn Ezra accepts it. Bacharshar as well. Bacharshar accepts this explanation. He brings another Yesh Mepharshim, Maybe the 300 Levim who, who drop out of the total, they weren't ru'uyim l'shimush. They weren't capable of serving. And we only count the Levim who were able to serve. And, therefore, and the, the, the Levim who were unable to serve don't count to be poda the Bacharos. Bechar Shar doesn't mention any specific objection to this, but nevertheless, he says, despite the existence of this other pshat, the other alternative, he says the Iker pshat is, the Iker pshat is like Chazal, that the, that the 300 were Bacharim and they don't count. So what happened, what happened with these, uh, these Bacharim and Levim? 
So Hashem said we need to be poja the Bechorim against the Levim. So the Torah explains that there were, that there were 273 extra Bechorim above and beyond the, above and beyond the Levim, the Levim who were not Bechorim. So Hashem gave, the, Hashem said the rule was as follows, that that's Peduye HaShloshe Ba'ashivim HaMasayim, Pidyon for the 273 Ha'od from for the excess Bechorim. The procedure was, V'lokach Tach HaMeshes HaMeshes Shekolim Lagulgolas, take five Shekolim per head, B'Shekel HaKodesh, Tikach Eshem Gera HaShakel, Take take five shkalim of uh, shekel hakodesh for each one. And that money shall be given. You shall give the money to Aaron and his children as a pidyon for the excess bechorim who couldn't be redeemed by Levim because they exceeded the total number of Levim. That's what they did. Moshe took the kesef pidyon from the excess bechorim. He took five. He took five shkalim from each one. The total was as we mentioned earlier one thousand three hundred and sixty-five shkalim. He gave that money to Aaron Ubanov as per the instructions of Akash Baruch. Now, the figure of five shkalim for a Bukhar is surely reminiscent of another law in the Torah involving five shkalim for a Bukhar, and that is the ritual of Pidin Aben that we do for a, for, a, for a Bukhar even today. A person has a firstborn child who's male, so you perform a Pidin Aben and you give also five shkalim, a certain amount of silver or equivalent value, to a coin. Now, this pasuk is not actually the source of the. This pasuk is not actually the source of the mitzvah of pidyon aben, a five shkalim to the kohen. That is a pasuk that we're going to get to in a few parshias, where the Torah discusses the mitzvah of pidyon aben, the mitzvah. Of, this was a one-time ritual performed in the midbar, the eternal, the ongoing ritual of pidyon aben. The Torah describes later in several parshias later, and says that you pay you pay five shkalim to the to, to the kohen. That actually is the source of pidyon aben. There's a curious little Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra says, Yesh Machishim. There are some who deny, which usually is a code for, for those who reject Tarsh Balpeh, the sectarians, the Karaites, or so on. There are some who deny the rabbinic tradition, and they say that Pidyon Aben, a five shkalim, is derived from our parsha. That yes, these five shkalim, that is the source. <coughs> these are the five shkalim that we give today for Pidyon Aben. These are what the Machishim say. Ibn Ezra says, Ve'en Araya. This is not a proof. You cannot derive five shkalim for Pidyon Aben from our parsha. Kizos mitzvah v'neatzma. This was a one-time mitzvah that, that applied back then. This is not the permanent mitzvah of Pidyon Aben. The truth is what Chazal say, that it is true that there's five shkalim, but it's not from our parsha. It's derived from Sukkim later, about where the Torah actually tells, sets forth the ritual of Pidyon Aben. Very puzzling what Ibn Ezra is doing here. Usually when he attacks the Machishim, it's because they've said something that is substantially different, that diverges from Chazal. They had a, they, they, they had a different day they started counting the Omer from. They, uh, they didn't light fires in their house on Shabbos. Usually the Machishim differ in some significant way from the Messiah of Torah Shabal Peh. Here, we all agree that Pedrin Aben is five Shkalim. We all agree it's Noeg Lodoros. The only question is, can we infer it from the, is this the same five shkalim they gave in the Midbar, or is this a different five shkalim? Those who learned from our parasha also knew that the Torah says so explicitly a few parashas later. So what are they arguing about? What is it, why is Ibn Ezra calling them machishim? What is the debate? It's, it's a kind of a hypothetical, theoretical debate. Had the Torah not written it uh, later, could we have derived it from our parasha? Like, what does he care about this? What, what is the issue? What, what, what's at stake over here? Very puzzling. Some say, some say that it's... Uh, some say that it's uh, that there actually was a halachic ramification of this dispute. 
that uh, some suggest that the that the disputers Makishim that they understood that a Bukhar Levi needed Pidyon Ben as well because the, because just because just like here the just, just like here the Bukhar of the Levi didn't didn't redeem the Bukhar of the of the Israel from future generations somehow they derived the, the Makishim held that the Bukhar Levi needs a Pidyon Ben not quite sure I follow that anyway it's very hard to understand what's at stake here why the Benazir is making a big deal out of this but Lamaisa this was the procedure. The 273 extra Levium, extra Bukharim, had to pay five shekel each and five shekelim each and total 1,365 shekelim. Those were given to Aaron and his sons. Now, the Gemara asks a basic question here. The Gemara says, well, how do they decide which are the 273 extra Levium? Was it first come, first serve? How do they decide who are the extra Levium? The Torah doesn't explain. The Torah just says 22,000 corresponded to 22,000 Levium and another 273 paid five shekelim. But who decided which, uh, which, 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 which who, who, was, who was to do that? So the Gemara in Sanhedrin says it was done by a lottery. The Gemara says, Moshe said, what should I do? How can I go over to any Jew and say, you pay, you pay five shekelim? He'll tell me, no, I want to be one of the ones who is redeemed by a levy. How can you make me pay? So what did he do? He brought, he made a giant lottery, 22,000 tickets upon which were written Ben Levy. 273 tickets upon which were written five shkalim. He told all the 22,273 Bukharim, come take a ticket. Anyone whose ticket said Ben Levy was exempt. Anyone who picked a ticket that said Hamesha Shkalim, Moshe said, you have to pay. So it was done by lottery. That, the, the, that if, if, we, if we have uh, too many candidates, if we have too many people to fit into uh, a number of slots, we have 22,000 slots of Pidyon, too many people to fit into those slots, what do we do? Some are going to have to be, uh, not make it into a slot. You decide how to do that by Goral. The Gemara in Sanhedrin brings one other example of a very similar procedure. The Gemara says, again, a few Pashias later, that we have a story where Moshe said he, he, could, he could not bear, he, he couldn't tolerate leading the Jews by himself. So Moshe, so Hashem told him, you, we, we, we're going to get you a team. We, we're going to get Esfali, Shivim, Ishmi, Zikne, Yisrael, gather 60 men from Israel. Now the Gemara says, and, and, and these, would, these, these would become the Zikanim who would be uh, Moshe's, Moshe's lieutenants. So the, the Gemara here is going on the Pasuk. It says, the Brisa says, There were two people left over in the Machne, Elder and Medad, what were they left over from? Left over from what? So the Gemara says they had a lottery. When Moshe was tasked with finding 70 people, Moshe said, okay, each Shevet should get to uh, contribute an equal number of Zikanim. So there were 12 Shvatim. So if they all gave five, that wouldn't quite be enough. That would only be 60. So they all gave a slate of six. Each Shevet, each Shevet submitted a slate of six, but that would be 72. And Hashem said only 70. So what do they do? Moshe said, what should I do if I tell two Shvatim that you're going to be the ones to only get five, and other Shvatim get six, that's not going to be fair. That's, uh, the Gemara says, he'll be matal kinna, he'll, that's an invidious distinction, some get six and some get five. So what should I do? So Moshe made a goro. He said that each, each Shevet put, put forth a slate of six, and uh, all these 72, he, that there were, he took 72 tickets, on 70 he wrote Zakain, on two he left them blank, and he told each of the 72 members of the slates of all the Shvatim, come pick a ticket. Those who drew a ticket saying, Zakein, 70 of them, he said, Hashem has selected you. 
ones who got blank tickets, he said, Kosh Baruch does not want you, and I can't do anything for you. Same idea that we have, uh, we, we have a set, most of which is going to get the favorable outcome. 70 out of 72 are going to be Zekanim. 22,000 out of 22,273 are going to be redeemed by Levim and do not have to pay. Two, two of them are going to be rejected from Zekanim. 233 are going to have to pay money. What do you, how do you do that? You select that by a girl. Now, as we've discussed in previous shiurim, the truth is there are actually a number of other areas in halacha where goril is used to resolve conflicting claims which are, to all intents and purposes, equal, and there's no way, we can't give it to both, we have no way of resolving the claims, so goril is actually a procedure that's used in other areas as well. Goril appears in Tanakh a number of times. There was the goril, the Torah says, for the two goats of Yom Kippur, we take two goats and we do a goril. One goes la Shem as a carbon. One goes la Zazel. It's thrown off a cliff. Chelukas Haaretz. The Torah says, Ach begoril techalik Haaretz. The Hashem commands, when you enter Eretz Canaan, you shall divide the land using a goril. That's what they did. It's there for Yeshua. We have the story of Yonah. It says they wanted to, the, the sailors were uh, baffled by the unusual storm. They wanted to understand, Bishalmi, who is the storm coming for? The goril landed on Yonah. Haman, Haman cast a girl to decide what day to plan the extermination of the Jews. We have other stories, the story of Achan, when, 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 when one of the Jews uh, violated the harem after the Battle of the Eye. They wanted to know who it was, they used the girl. The story of Shaul and Yonason, when Shaul had made a harem also, nobody was supposed to eat, and then Yonason ate, and they wanted to find out who had violated the harem, there was a girl. So there are a variety of cases in Tanakh where girl is mentioned. And in halacha, in, in, in actual halacha, there are a number of cases where goral is the law as well. Dividing up property of shutfus or, or, or heirs dividing in estate is one example. If, there's, uh, that, that, that if, if there are two fields and the question is who gets which field, you use a goral to decide who gets which field. Uh, another example, which goes back uh, several hundred years, is, Kad- is Kaddish, Kaddish and the Amut. So today it's common that most shuls I've been to, all the Avelim, anyone who has yard side says Kaddish in unison. There's only one Amud, or several Amuds, if you divide the davening to several parts. The Amud is limited, Kaddish is said by everyone. It seems that in earlier generations, that was not the practice. In earlier generations, only one person said Kaddish. Kaddish was also a scarce resource. And the Maramin says a tshuva, he talks about the, the, the problem, that people would quarrel, and that, that people would, uh, it would cause problems, it would disturb the davening, it would cause all kinds of disruptions. People would argue, but who got to say Kaddish? Therefore, it's very important, he says, that we have some procedure, some fair and uh, effective procedure for resolving the conflicting claims. So he gives different rules. There are certain rules of precedence, but in certain cases, we do a goral to, to decide between claims that, that neither has precedence over the other. We do a goral to decide, uh, to decide what we should do. That's, that's, an, that, that's another example of goral. So I want to discuss, for the remainder of our time tonight, I want to discuss a little bit the, the parameters of Goral, when do, we, when, when do we do a Goral, when don't we do a Goral, discuss some of the rules of, of Goral. Before we start, one final example of Goral. This is one that may have had some relevance uh, during COVID. So what do you do about triage, medical triage? There's a limited, limited amount of medical resources, limited number of physicians, limited number of hospital beds, limited number of ventilators, limited, limited number of vaccine dosages. So how do we decide who gets the scarce medical resources? So there are different rules. There's the mission in Harayos, which lists precedences of certain people over others. There are other criteria. 
Ramosha has a tshuva. Ramosha Feinstein has a tshuva where he writes as follows, briefly. He says, The physician, Ramosha assumes, should go to whoever calls him first. First come, first serve, apparently. Also, whoever is closer to his house. He's, again, not clear if first come, first serve has precedence over, over physical proximity, whether these are both equivalent criteria. When these criteria do not apply, he says, when neither of these criteria can distinguish between two claims to the physician's resources, the mission in Harayos gives certain, Chacham has precedence, a king has precedence, and so on. There, 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 are various, there are various categories of people who have precedence over others. The Imlo Yadua, Ramosha says, Imlo Yadua Zela Rofe, if the Rofe doesn't know, I guess if they're equal or if he doesn't know, what do you do then? So that what breaks the deadlock? Ramosha says, there should be a girl to decide who the Rofe should go to. He flips a coin, he uh, rolls the dice. If, if none of these other criteria can serve to uh, establish an order of precedence, then a girl should be the procedure. That's another example, according to Ramosha, of using girl to break a deadlock where people have equal claims to some limited resource, you do a girl to decide whose claim should, who should win. The Maramints, I mentioned earlier, just to expand on his chuva a little bit, he explains why it's so important to, to have some procedure, whatever the procedure is. He says, Yanasha Reisi become a Makomos, he says, there are, there are certain rules, but he says, I was asked to, uh, to, you know, to, to, to organize the rules, to, to set them forth in a systematic way. People shouldn't quarrel. He says, this is appropriate, he says, because if we don't have clear and widely understood rules, people argue, some say this is the minog, some say that's the minog, and that this can actually cause disruption to the, to, to the davening. Also, is an important value. We don't want to disturb the tzibur, make the tzibur wait while people fight out who gets the amud. Chazal were very worried about Terchet Tzibur. He gives various examples of halachas. We see Chazal were concerned about Terchet Tzibur and not rolling a Sefer Torah while the, the Tzibur is waiting for it and so on. So he goes on. He, he discusses what the rules are, various cases where we use a garel. He, he adds, Lo lelios alam kvar. I, I don't think the din should be whoever is the strongest uh, grabs it and gets away with it. He's not actually making up that procedure. That procedure is found in the Gemara occasionally. The Gemara, very rarely, but the Gemara, the Gemara has several different procedures that we use to resolve uncertainty in various cases. We mentioned Goral. Sometimes we follow Muxuk, whoever's in possession gets to hold on to it if the, if the relative merits of the claims can't be established, plaintiff and defendant. Sometimes we say Yachloku, you divide the, the resource. Sometimes we say Kaldo Alam Gvar. The Rishonim struggle to understand when do we say Kaldo Gvar as opposed to Yachloku, as opposed to these other rules. But the Gemara does sometimes say the rule is called Alam Gvar. Says the Mara Mintz, we should not say that with regard to the Amud, with regard to Kaddish. We, we, we shouldn't say first come, first serve, or, uh, or whoever grabs it first wins. At least to fighting, he says. Asil and Suye. It causes katat, it causes quarreling. Kilkil Rav Atsum, it causes terrible consequences. The Chum were very concerned about Darche Shalom. They didn't want to have people fighting. He brings the, the Mishnah in Yomah. The Mishnah says originally when the Kohanim were, would, would try to allocate among themselves who got the privilege of doing certain of the Avodah, certain of the temple service, it says they had a race. And anyone who, the first, uh, the first come, first serve, whoever got, to the, whoever got there first, 
would got to whoever got to the whoever got to close to the top of the altar within four amas of the top of the altar he would win. Once there was a case where two people were running, one of them uh, shoved the other one and he fell and broke his leg. When when the when the basin saw that this was leading to problems, they said, "No more racing, no more grabbing. First come, first serve. From now on, it's going to be a girl." Says the Maramints, we see how important it is not to just uh, leave, leave things to this kind of boisterous, aggressive, shoving contention. It's a, we should have a, uh, a calmer way of doing things, and therefore he recommends Gaurav. There, there is a major discussion in the postkim. There, there, there are several discussions in the postkim when we do and when we do not follow Gaurav. As we mentioned, in, in classic cases involving the division of property, a partnership, and so on, we, we do follow Gaurav. Nevertheless, in cases, especially in cases where things are not really divisible, in cases where the two options are not equal, there's going to be a winner and a loser, like, for example, the case of the Zekanim. Somebody was going to be a Zakin, somebody was not. There's no way to divide that into two equal portions. Somebody wins and somebody loses. There is actually a position in the postgame that in such cases we, we, we do not use Garo. Rabbi Yudah Chassid in Sefer Chassidim has a discussion about the Garo of Yonah. He says, do we actually do that Lamaisa? The Bible relates they did that. The sailors did that to decide to throw Yonah into the water. Is that the halacha? He has actually a couple, of, a couple of distinct discussions about this. In one of them, he says, people are on a ship. The storm is storming. Can they do a girl to decide to throw somebody in like Yonah? Says, says the Sefer Chassidim, no, we cannot do that. He, he gives various arguments why we can't do that. Certainly not when lives are at stake, he says. What about the story in Shmuel about uh, Yonason? That was different, he says. That was, uh, they, they, they had, uh, the, there was an Aaron Kodesh over there. That was, that was based on Hashem. Various posts can say this as well about the, about the, about the Goral of Chalukas Haaretz. It said, he'll stand before a Lazar with Urim Vitumim. Those were different. Hashem was involved. However, today we cannot do Goral. Today we don't do gurals. Uh, Yeshua's gurl, it says, was, would be again lefnei Hashem, but we don't have any promise, any guarantee of divine involvement. So we cannot, we can, we have no right to impose a gurl to throw somebody into the water. The, even when it comes to Mamani, he says we can't do a gurl. He adds further, and this is the the point I wanted to bring out earlier. He says even when it comes to simple Mamani, no lives are at stake, only money's at stake. We can only do a gurl, he says, when the two alternatives are equal. For example, there are two fields. We appraise them and they're equal. Or we make them equal by adding some cash to one of them. You get the, the better field, you get the inferior, one side will get the better field, one side will get the inferior field plus a bunch of cash. So we make them equal, then they can't agree. I want the good field, you can have the cash and the bad field. I want the bad field and the cash, you can have the good field. Then you can make a gurl. When the two options are, are equal, as equal as they can be, then you make a gurl. However, you can never make a gurl to decide between unequal options, he says, and he brings a very interesting... Uh, basis for this, or precedent for this, he says the, the Mishnah tells us that the two goats of Yom Kippur, which were, which were designated by Goral, they had to be shoved in Bamaro Bakoma. They had to look the same. They had to be the same stature. They had to look the same appearance. Why? So Rabbi Yehuda Chassid says the reason they had to look the same is because a Goral, even when it's not a question of, a, of, civil, of civil law with conflicting rights, a Goral can only be done when the two options are equal. We don't do Goral to decide between unequal options. If the two Seirim wouldn't be equal, we could not do a Goral to decide which was which. And therefore, when one guy gets thrown into the sea and one guy stays on the ship, 
Those are fundamentally unequal options, and a gurl is not a legitimate method for deciding between them. Post can debate this as well in other contexts also. Rebutachas himself has another discussion of the, of the ship where he seems to uh, tolerate the girl. Contemporary posts can have uh, lengthy, intricate discussions. Can you bring a riot from Yona? They weren't Jews. They weren't asking a halachic shail over there. But they were pious individuals. They, they apparently meant L'shem Shemayim, and they became Geirim, according to a Midrashic tradition. They were still, still, they weren't Jews. They weren't learned Jews at this point. Rav Vadi Yosef and Rav Chaim David Alevi and others discussed back and forth whether we can learn from Yonah. One case post can discuss Gurl. Another case they discuss Gurl, where lives are at stake. There's a famous, uh, somewhat uh, striking, maybe difficult to understand Mishnah, Mishnah and Gemara, the Yushalmi. It says that if the enemy comes and says, give us one of your number, if not, we'll kill all of you, then you don't do that. You cannot turn over anyone to the enemy, even if we believe they'll kill all of us. Can't, you can't do that. You can't, we, we, we can't do the dirty work of handing over one person to the enemy. If they singled somebody out, some say only if that person is actually guilty of a, of a capital offense, some say even if he's not. If they've singled somebody out, then you can turn over the one they singled out. But if they don't single anybody out, then even though you'd think from a strictly utilitarian perspective, why should we all die? If we can hand over one guy, the rest of us will live. But we have no right to make that decision. We cannot play God. We cannot say, you're going to die and the rest of us will live. Rav Salavechik holds this up as an example. They, they, they cited the Arabs of Rav Salavechik as, as why, why we need the Torah, why we need a, a seemingly self-evident law like Lo Sirtzach. He says, yeah, murder in general maybe is intuitive, is, is, is morally, intuitively obvious, but not always. The halacha had, tells us things sometimes which are not morally obvious. Uh, a, 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 uh, an independently reasoned morality might say... Uh, why should ten people die if, if nine people can live and one should die? The Torah says, Lo we have no right to throw somebody to the wolves, throw them into the ocean. We cannot do that. What about a girl? Can we use a girl? We can't pick somebody arbitrarily to, 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 to turn him over to the enemy. Can we use a girl to do that? The Tavares Lamosha says, yes. You're allowed to use a girl. He brings the precedent of Yonah. You're allowed to do that, he says. You're allowed to use a girl to, dis- to hand over one person to the, to the enemy. Tremendous chiddush. The Mishnah says, Yamusu kulan, they have to all die. The, 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 early, the, early, the, early, the early sources in Chazal say, Yamusu kulan. But Pharaoh's Moshe says, if they're smart, they'll do a girl. It doesn't say if they're smart, but a girl is a solution. They don't have to all die. They can do a girl to, uh, to decide who will live. Other Acharim say, what are you talking about? The, the, what are you talking about? They say that, that the, if there's an nature of girl, then why did Chazal say that they, that they all have to die? Why should they all die? Just do the girl. He says uh, that, what sense, the asked, what sense does that make? Why should they all be condemned to death if, the, if there's an eighth of girl? Some Akronim say, you have to him for that question. They say, in a Hanami, if, if, the mission's telling you what, what the din would be without a girl. If they do a girl, then in a Hanami. It's a pretty big omission on the part of Chazal, but a girl works. Or maybe he says we're talking about a case where the enemy won't accept a girl, the enemy is so diabolical, they insist we make a deliberate choice. It's a strange assumption, but maybe that's what it means. Maybe, maybe it's telling you the Chiddush that if they do single somebody out, you don't even need a girl. Okay, so maybe it's a compelling argument, maybe not, but there are some Akronim who say that we, do, we can do a girl to choose who to turn over. Other Akronim say we can't. Other Akronim say that when it comes to, to playing God and choosing who will live and who will die, girl is not an option. We can't do anything. We cannot send a man to his death. Even if, the, even if that, the likely outcome is that we're all going to die, we cannot do that. Goral is not a valid procedure 
for deciding to send somebody to his death. The Erech Shai also echoes this position of Rabbi Yudah Chassid, that we cannot use a girl to condemn somebody to death, even if apparently the alternative is that maybe everyone's going to die. He doesn't give that example, but he says in general, he, he makes the same point Rabbi Yudah Chassid makes. In general, we don't find girl ever being used except to decide between two, two, oppor- two options that are as equal as we, as we can possibly make them. He brings the Gemara in Sanhedrin. The Gemara says if there are two wagons that are uh, on a collision course, one of them has to give way, which one has to give way? Or two ships that are in a narrow area, one has to uh, go out of its way and make room for the other. So which one, which one has precedence? So the Gemara gives various rules. Whichever one will be less inconvenienced, if one is laden and one is empty, the empty one should, should give way and various rules for uh, rules of equity to decide w- w- which is kind of the fairest or overall... Uh, overall fairest way to do things. If, the, if, if none of these criteria are sufficient, then you make a pshar, it says. Then they should settle. One of them, one of them gives way. The other one compensates him for, his, uh, for, for giving way. Why not Garl, says the Erech why, why, Nothing about Garl here, he says. So he says, the rule, because the rule is, we, if, if two options are unequal, we can never use Garl. He says, you're right. In theory, there would be a girl there as well. Let's say, we go to the, let's say that everything is equal, everything is symmetric about the situation. So we apply the last rule, which is one side gives way, the other side compensates him for giving way. Now let's say the two sides can't agree who should be the one to give way and get paid and who should be the one, you get bumped from a flight and you get paid, you can't, you can't decide who should get the flight and who should, and who should be bumped and get money. So if, if, both, if these are equal options as, as, as far as we can make them, and they still can't agree who says what, then yes, he says, then, then, we'll, then we'll go back to a girl. Usually, he says, it's not going to happen. He says, usually, the, usually one of them is willing to pay more. For one of them, the inconvenience is worth more. So he'll pay more. So then you don't do a girl. You, you, you just uh, you, 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 you maximize the value by having the other one give way and him paying him. But in a chinami, if everything is entirely equal, there's nothing to break the deadlock, then you'll do a girl. But like Rabbi Yudah Chassid, he says, girl cannot be used to, to distinguish between, uh, girl cannot be used to, to apportion unequal outcomes. What about, he says, the example of Kaddish? One person is going to get Kaddish, one person won't get Kaddish. Today it's often common, especially if someone's in Avel for, uh, for a long time, they have a system of rotation or alternation, but you have cases, if someone has a yard set, it's either now or, or never or next year, I guess, but uh, we do, according to the classic poskim, I don't know if this is still done today, but according to the classic poskim, we do a garel. According to the Maramint and the Magen Avram and the Lavush, and the, the, the classic Echronim say we do garel. The classic Ashkenazic poskim say we do a garel. Those are, there, there, Akshai says, isn't that uh, a contradiction to his rule that we don't do garel to decide between unequal outcomes? It doesn't say that the one who says Kaddish has to pay the other one anything. So there he says, we do use garel to decide between unequal outcomes. Similarly, we mentioned the girl of the Avodah, the Kohanim who would divide among themselves the privilege of doing the Avodah. They would also do a girl. Why didn't we say that the, we can't use a girl to decide between unequal outcomes? So he gives various reasons why that's an exception. He says, he says the Mikdash, the Kohanim, they're, they're, they're really only shluchim. They're, they're, it's not their privilege. It's really the privilege of either, the Gemara says, Kohanim or either shluchim of the Kodesh Baruch Hu to do his Avodah or shluchim of the Tiber to do the Avodah. Either way, it's not their privilege. They're, they're simply agents of Klal Yisrael or of a Kodesh Baruch Hu. And Klal Yisrael and Kodesh Baruch Hu have, have no preference for one Kohen or the other. That's why Garel, that's why Garel is, is allowed. Because we're not, we're not dealing with, with inher- rights that inherently belong to them anyway. 
Uh, same thing with Kaddish, he says. Ka- the person saying Kaddish is only a shliach of a tzibur, even though he considers it a great privilege for the neshama of his relative and so on. But Derek Shai says, in, in theory, he's only really a shliach of the tzibur, and that's why we do a garol. That's his first suggestion. He has another suggestion he likes even better. He says that in a case of property, it's all about money, so we can balance out the money. One field is worth more, we'll balance it out with money, then, then, then they'll be equal, then we'll do the garol, but not before. He says, Karbanos and Kaddish, what are you going to do? Give one guy Kaddish, make the other guy pay, he says. And the guy who can't afford to pay for the Kaddish is always going to be, uh, the, the, the poor man will always lose to the rich man, will never get to say Kaddish for his, for his relatives. That's fundamentally not fair. It's, uh, not everything in the world is fair. Economics maybe is not always fair. But Kaddish, they, didn't want to, Kaddish, they wanted to be more egalitarian. They didn't want to deprive the poor of the ability to say Kaddish. So they, they went with the Goro. What are you going to do on Shabbos? And Yantiv, he says, we, we, we can't, you can't handle money, even though we sell Elias on Shabbos and Yantiv, but it's harder to do. Okay, so for those reasons, they went with Goral. But those are the exceptions that proves the rule. The, 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 the Goral of the Kohanim for the Avodah, the Goral of, of Kaddishim, and so on. But in general, the Erech Shai, following in the footsteps of Rabbi Yudah Chassid, insists that you cannot do a Goral to choose between unequal outcomes, and only once we've made the outcomes equal do we then invoke a Goral. Now, Lachara, going back to where we started, the Goral in Arab Pasha, according to the Gemara, in Arab Pasha, there were going to be 273 Bacharim who had to pay five shkalim each, and there were going to be 22,000 Bacharim who weren't going to pay anything. Those are certainly unequal options. So how can we do a Goral? According to the Arakshai, we should split the difference. The same way he says, if one field is worth more, or having to give way is, uh, is an inferior option to not having to give way, we, we balance it out by making a payment to, to make it equal. So why don't we do the same thing here? Whichever one has to, has to pay, has to pay uh, five shkalim, everyone else should have to contribute, uh, to make, to contribute their share, which would work out to each person paying about 0.06 of a shekel. So why over here do we do a goral, and it, despite the fact that the two options are not equal, despite the fact it would be pretty, equal, pretty easy to equalize them by dividing the obligation to pay uniformly among all the 222,273? I don't know. This seems to be in uh, direct conflict to the Erech Shai's principle that we don't do goral when the two options are not equal. I'll conclude with one final rather dramatic case of using a goral a very similar case where the options are fundamentally unequal and can't really be made equal, and that is a fascinating tshuva in the Sefer, Kinyan Torah Bahalacha. The, the question was, he says, about a half a century ago, 70 years ago or something, he says in Leningrad, there, were secret, there was a secret gathering of people under Soviet Russia to study Torah. And there were Balai tshuva, there were people, God-fearing people. Unfortunately, there was also an informer for the, for, for the Soviet state who had infiltrated the group, who had, and, and sold them out to the government, and he informed the government, and they were being raided by the, by the secret police, apparently. Now, they, apparently it was too late, they had the area cordoned off, it was too late to flee the building, but there was a, there was a room in the, in the building, in the cellar, in the boiler room, there was room for, for a few people to hide, and apparently there, there, was, uh, there, there, there was hope that they wouldn't be caught. Everyone else would be picked up, and the fate was, they weren't going to be shot, apparently, but the fate would be uh, jail or expulsion, Siberia maybe. So the question was, this boiler room only had room, he says, for, about, for five people, and there were 20 people in the building. So what are we going to do? We can't all fit in the boiler room. So how should we decide who gets to hide and who gets to be uh, arrested? So he says uh, the decision was to do a girl, that, uh, that, that the girl would decide who got to, uh, who got to hide. 
and everyone else would uh, would have to take his chances with uh, being arrested. So the Kenyan terrorist correspondent said, we have a Sefer Hasidim who talks about the ship, where it's problematic, you can't do a girl, he says. You can't kill somebody, throw somebody into the ocean by doing a girl. This is not the same thing, he says. So the Kenyan terrorist says, why is it not the same thing? Well, Hari, you're right, he says, it's not the same thing. Why not? He says, because it, it's very different, he says. It makes sense, it's very different, he says. Because here he says that... In the case of Yudah Chassid, you're throwing somebody into the ocean. You're killing somebody based on a girl. You can't do that. You, you, can't, you, can't, you can't condemn a Jew to death because of the girl. Mm-hmm. Here, no one's being condemned to death. We're simply saving some people based on a girl. Everyone else is going to be in the status quo and be arrested by the secret police. Five lucky people are going to be saved, hopefully, in the boiler room. That you can do. You can use a girl. That's like Ramosha's Tshuva. Ramosha said two people are sick. They both need a doctor. You can do a girl to decide who's going to get the doctor. You can't do a girl to decide who's going to be thrown into the ocean, but you can, maybe you can do a girl to decide who's going to, uh, who's going to be saved. But the Kinnintara goes back and forth. He discusses, uh, he discusses other, other, aspects of this, uh, other aspects of this case. In particular, he discusses the question of Rebudah Chassid, the idea that we don't do a girl, to decide between two equal options. Even forgetting about the fact that you're throwing somebody into the ocean, you can't do a girl to decide between unequal options. Being sent to Siberia and being saved are not two, two equal options. He quotes uh, other post-Muslim to disagree. He quotes, he quotes Postkin, who talked, he talks, Chuvin uh, the Beishlomo, talks about a case where there was a, a priceless Sefer Torah that had been written by, by, by a great tzaddik, and two, uh, two, heirs, uh, two heirs, both wa- two brothers both wanted it, Originally, they agreed to make a garel. The question was, is, is garel appropriate? So he says that uh, originally the deal was one person would get the safer, one person would get, another person would compensate, uh, the person who got the safer would compensate the other one by, with 200 rubles. But certainly it's not equal, he says. It's the, this priceless safer terror, it's not equal. So the, and yet, and yet, they, they discussed the, the possibility of doing a garel. So you see, garel is not limited to cases where they're equal. He brings an even more dramatic case. There was a safer terror. Someone quotes a, a tradition he heard B'shem of Shuragon that there was a, a rich man who had a sefer that was written in the, in the handwriting of Ezra Sofer, the biblical Ezra Sofer, and he had two sons, and his sons, each one wanted the sefer. He was, wanted the sefer more than all the gold and silver in the world, and the ptak was, in, in Shuragon's time, to do a girl. Certainly, he says, uh, the, the sefer Torah of Ezra is, is surely, indeed, not worth all the, it's worth more than all the silver and gold in the world, and yet they did a girl. So you see from these poskim, you see from these postgames that they, that they were willing to, 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 uh, to prescribe a girl, even in cases where the two options were not equal. If there's no other, if there's no other solution, then we do a girl. So at the end of the day, it's not entirely clear. This, again, when it comes to, when it comes to taking, taking a life by throwing somebody into the ocean, that postgame are definitely reluctant to, to use a girl. When it comes to other cases of resolving dilemmas which involve two unequal options, that seems to be more of a dispute. On our parsha, as understood by the Gemara, we, they did seem to use a girl to decide between, again, why they couldn't make the options equal by having everyone ship into the pidyon, I don't know, but they did use a, the fact is they did use a girl to decide between, between unequal options. Uh, on the other hand, Rabbi Chassid and the Erek Shai both say you cannot use a girl to decide between unequal options. And although other posts can seem to say that you can, which, and that seems to be supported by the girl that was done in our parsha, as well as the girl that was done for the Shivam Zakanim, for the 70 elders that we're going to read in, uh, in a few parashas.